Colossians 3, 1 to 17. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these two, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is God's word. Amen. You may be seated. Thanks, Dan. Well, good evening to you all. It's a joy to be with you. Won't you please pray with me as we come before the word? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask for your help now. We're reminded of the scriptures when they say, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So help us as we come now to your word. Grant us clarity to rightly understand it and conviction to rightly respond to it by the power of your spirit tonight. We pray and desire that you would be exalted during this time. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Well, I wonder if any of you have ever played a pickup sports game before. A pickup soccer game, maybe. This is something that happens quite often in the high school ministry, uh, which I serve in. Uh, We play a lot of pickup soccer games, basketball games in the basement here in Commons Gym. And I found that if you're participating in one of these pick up games, maybe at a public park or with friends, there can be a moment when someone will jump into the game. And at that moment, both teams will attempt to recruit that person 
to, the, to their team. And so what ensues is both sides begin yelling and shouting and telling them what team they should be on and what direction they should therefore be headed. This evening in Colossians chapter 3, Paul and Timothy are in some sense telling and reminding the Colossians not only who they're with, but what to do and the game plan that they are to execute as a member of this team. One of the significant questions that this letter has been answering in some sense, this letter to the Colossians, is what is needed to become a mature Christian? And the answer we've seen is that Christian maturity is not found in pursuing new philosophies, chapter 2, verse 8. It's not found in legalism, chapter 2, verse 16. And it's not found in these spiritual experiences of detailed visions and worshiping angels in chapter 2, verse 18. Instead, as 2.23 tells us, these things are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And so Paul has been sharing with the Colossians that Christian maturity starts with and ends with knowing and walking in Christ. Walking in Christ. It's the title of our series for this evening uh, service series that we have. And it's in some sense the thesis of the letter that we've seen in chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. But what does it mean? What does it mean when we say walk in Christ? When we hear those words? And tonight I think our text gets at some of those specifics. The specific game plan of how to walk in Christ. Last week... The Colossians, in some sense, were on defense. Uh, I like how Pastor Ben Panner put it. He said that they are uh, engaging in theological self-defense. They were on the defense, responding and defending against what was coming at them. But tonight, we see that they're given an offensive strategy as well. An offensive way to carry out what it means to walk in Christ. So there's two parts of our text today. And um, it's answering the question, how do I walk in Christ? Two ways. First, know who you're with. That's in verses one through four. And second, know what to do in five through 17. Know who you're with. This is the team that you're on. And what to do. This is the game plan that you're called to carry out. And Paul's point for the Colossians is applicable for us today. He's ultimately saying, live it out. Live out your life in Christ by knowing who you're with and by knowing what to do. So who are the Colossians with? If you have a Bible, I encourage you to keep it open. If you have a phone, you can pull it out. Type in Colossians 3 ESV. Looking at 3, 1 to 17. Who are the Colossians with? Take a look at verse, beginning in verse 1. It says, if then you have been raised with Christ. Jump with me down to verse three. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. And look at verse four. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The Colossians are with Christ. They've moved from team Colossae in some sense on their chest to team 
Christ. And this is what happens when anyone receives Jesus as their Lord and Savior, becomes a Christian. The Bible says that ultimately what's happening is this union with Christ. His righteousness is now your righteousness. You are united with him in a death like his, as we saw in chapter 2, verse 20, and united with him in his resurrection life, as chapter 3, verse 1 says. And so it's like they've, they've run on the field and Paul says, and he shouts out to the Colossians, hey, you're, you're on his team. You're with him. You are with Christ. And this is the direction that you are to go. He points them in a certain direction, a certain perspective. And we're going to see this. Look at uh, chapter, uh, verse 2. He points them in a specific perspective that corresponds with who they're with, the team that they're on. And what is this seeking? It says, if you're on his team, you are to seek the things that are above, verse 1, and set your mind on things that are above. I think what that seeking means is ultimately going to be laid out in this text. It's ultimately going to be laid out in the rest of the, the letter that we have here. But in some sense, it's also initially just described with verse 2 that follows. This setting your minds. They're connected. The seeking and the setting. Setting your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. To set your mind on something here does not simply mean to think about heavenly or spiritual things. And I think this is important. It it means more than just thinking about heavenly things. It means to hold in some sense a mental, continuous devotion. To maintain an attitude. It is a mindset that Paul is telling them to take. It's like when you meet someone with a strong conviction for a cause or for a certain way of living. And as I was thinking about an example of this this, this week... Um, I don't say this to offend anybody, and I don't think it does, but I immediately thought of our brothers and sisters who are vegan or vegetarian, who have a very specific way of eating food. They know exactly what's going into their body. They have strong convictions for what they eat, and in some sense, they embody the cause, right? They are constantly living in light of a chosen perspective And it plays out with every food decision that they make throughout the day. And so to not be misunderstood, I am uh, not saying to all the meat lovers out there like myself to become a vegan or vegetarian. And to to those that are, I'm saying we have something to learn from you. What I'm saying is that this is likewise the mental mindset that we need. The conviction, the devotion The mindset, this perspective is what we are to hold as Christians. We seek the things that correspond to the place of Christ. And so where is he? Where is he right now? He is exalted. He is in heaven. He is ruling and reigning, seated at the right hand of the Father tells us in the text. And this sounds much like something 
we've heard back in Psalm, Psalm 110, it's describing the authority, the lordship of the risen king, Jesus. And so we are to seek the things that are above because of our sustained devotion to the risen and reigning king who is seated right now in heaven. And so as Christians, our union with Christ in his death, in his resurrected life, is central to who we are, to who we are tonight. This reality should drive us. It's how we are to primarily understand ourselves. Jesus Christ, through his death, took us from being enemies who were hostile to God to being people who are at peace with God. Reconciled. We are no longer in rebellion to God if we are in Christ. And this peace with God comes through having faith in Jesus and what he accomplished in his death and resurrection. And so maybe you're here tonight and you're not on this team. I am glad you're here. I am glad you are exploring Christianity. You've come to sit and worship with us. Thank you for being here. I don't want you to hear the corresponding implications of verses 5 through 17. I want you to know Jesus. I want you to know him like it's talked about in verses 1 through 4. I want you to know that you are loved by God, even as a sinner. And Christ has made a way for you to be at peace with him. And to those of us who are already on this team, probably many of us here, this means that our perspective needs to be recalibrated in some sense. This text is calling us to do that. What are we seeking right now? How might we need to reorient what we're seeking. There's two categories, heavenly and earthly, above and below. How might this text be calling us even tonight to consider how we need to change or repent or to turn and to align something that we're seeking after in our lives? And what do you set your mind on? What holds your mental devotion and impacts how you live? What drives you? As a person, is it a desire for financial security? Is it to appear a certain way in front of others? Is it a desire to be well loved or well liked? Desire to be seen as successful or to experience success? Desire for comfort? There's there's an endless list of things that we could put there. Not necessarily bad things, but the Colossians' problem was that they were tempted to look elsewhere for the things that they had in Christ. And that's a problem surely we can resonate with. Brothers and sisters, you are significant, secure, satisfied in Christ. Your desire for acceptance, affirmation, attention, is ultimately and already found in Christ. You were made to know these things in him. 
not in something else or someone else. And so it's good for us to reorient our perspective and to remind ourselves of what we have in Christ tonight. Well, how do we do this? How do we set our minds and seek these things? And there's a couple examples I was thinking of. This might mean setting boundaries with what we allow to shape our mind, right? We are bombarded by so much information, so many people, things, trying to grab our attention, sell us something, a philosophy, some understanding, information, our time. It might be social media or the news or entertainment. How much are we allowing this to shape our minds? And on the flip side, how much are we allowing habits of prayer, beginning, middle, end of the day, scripture reading? Something we talk about in Hayek's is not only just reading the Bible, but rereading the same passage over and over again, daily, to let it soak in our minds. Just to sit in the same text, set our minds on it. Scripture memorization is a great way to do this. And I think that's why we have small groups, we have adult communities, we have student ministries, children's ministries, men's and women's ministries here that gather around the truth of God's word weekly, regularly, on the weekend, during the week, to do what? To remind ourselves of what it means to be with Christ. To remind ourselves of the truth. To set our minds on it. Well, that's a start. That's who you're with, or the team and the direction to face in verses one through four. But now the text moves to what to do. This is the bulk of our text, and this is the specifics. In some sense, the offensive strategy for how you carry these things out. And it hinges on two blanket statement imperatives in the text, two defining imperatives. It's there in verse five, put to death, look at it there, and verse 12, put on. Those are the two driving imperatives of this second section. So it says in verse five, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. It's because of the union with Christ that they are to live in a certain way. It's because they're on a new team that they now have a new game plan. And so this resurrected living starts with putting some things to death. And what's the first list of things that are to be put to death? It's there. It's sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil, to, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Paul says in verse 6 that on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. This is the first list of the five vices five-fold list that we see, and it seems to be united or under one umbrella or heading of more sexual sins. Now, in the Colossians context, there was a pagan culture that they were not to follow in regards to their understanding of their bodies and sex. And while there are important and needed conversations today on this front for us, it must be said, and, and how we engage with the outside world that tells us how to understand our bodies or sex, it must be said that Paul is emphasizing people in the church in this text. He's talking about those inside the church. We are to put this way of life to death in the church. This is how you used to walk, Paul says. 
It's a thing of the past that needs to stay in the past. And so we hold a specific sexual ethic because our union with Christ, our life with Christ, dictates and calls for an obedience to God's purpose, his plan, his design for our bodies. That means today that what we do with our bodies matters. Because it can either correspond to this new life or it cannot. Whether it be pornography or sexual infidelity or lust or sex outside the bounds of God's purpose and design for marriage, there are many ways that this can be put to death and needs to be put to death. And to any tonight who may feel enslaved by their sin and stuck in it and wondering, I hear you that I'm supposed to put this to death, but how do I start? I've been stuck here for a long time. I think a good place to start is by prayer, by acknowledging dependence on the Holy Spirit, and by bringing sin to light by confessing sin and seeking out support. And Christ has come to set you free from this bondage of sin. That's good news. And the Holy Spirit, through his power, and through, Lord willing, the accountability of the local church, brothers and sisters here, can enable a change in new life and new habits. Chapter 2, we saw these other things had no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. It's contrasted with what we have here in chapter 3. This does have value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And so by God's power, I pray that we see that. That our church is a witness, a testimony to the power of the Holy Spirit. To break people free from the bondage of sin. And to follow the Lord Jesus with obedience. Put these old things to death, Paul says. Well, he moves to a second list of vices, and we're told to put more things away in verse 8. These things, this is anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, and lying to one another. And the umbrella of this category, if you, if you think about how these connect together, they all have to deal with how we speak, how we interact with one another. And Paul says, we need to put this away. This is the old self, the old man. But you're you're a new self. You're You're the new man now. These things do not belong in our community. And this change from old to new is so practical, it gets down to how we treat or speak to one another. They are to be put away. Our new selves, the text says, are being renewed after the image and the likeness of our creator, Jesus. If you're on his team, you're supposed to grow in your likeness of him. And that means that even how we speak, how we engage and interact with one another changes. That has implications for what gets put away. It has implications for how we view others in our body. Others who are different than us. Verse 11 gets at this. It says that in some sense, what he's getting at is any ethnic and cultural contempt has no place in the church. No place. 
All these distinctions that are brought out in verse 11 are not to be emphasized over our union with Christ. We are all on the same team. We are all with Christ. We're in Christ. Christ is all and in all. And he's creating a new sort of community of people who have put on this new self and engage with each other in a new sort of way. When he says to put to death, he's conjuring up an image that of one like atrophy. The image of a, of a withering body that is sick and slowly dying. It's like holding back the nourishment from a decaying body. And so we as those in Christ in some sense are to pull the plug on anything that would feed the old self. No more energy, no more feeding, no more cultivating the old self. That's done. Pull the plug. We're instead to break those habits of serving sin and disconnect it from any source that would give it life. When we put off these old habits of living, it's like we are putting off old clothes that shouldn't be worn anymore. Pursuing sin is kind of like going into your closet, your laundry hamper that has your dirty clothes, taking it out and putting it on. It doesn't make sense anymore. (laughs) It's a new day. And these clothes don't belong on us anymore. And so Paul says, you've changed. I think sometimes we can continue to sin just because it's a habit. Just like we continue to wear some of the same clothes, maybe that are out of style or don't fit, just because we've had them for a long time. And it's what we do. It feels like a habit. (laughs) But we're called to actually notice, no, we no longer put those clothes on. They belong there. Put them away. And we have new clothes. New church clothes to put on. So what are your new church clothes? Paul gives us some in verse 12. These are the church clothes for us, college church, this evening. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Who are they speaking to? Verse 12 says, God's chosen ones. God chose you, college church. You're chosen. You're on his team now. So put on the new clothes that reflect this. The list here relates to how we interact with one another. It's compassion, kindness, Humility, meekness, and patience. It does not take very long to say that list, but it takes a lifetime to learn how to habitually put on those things, right? This is the game plan for all of us in this room, for the church. When you prepare for the day You put on and lay out your clothes. You choose things that you're going to put on. What if we prepared for each day by preparing to put on compassion, put on kindness, put on humility, 
Put on meekness, put on patience. Why? Because this is who Christ is to you, to us. He is compassionate and kind. Humble, meek, and patient. And notice the second half of verse 13. We are to forgive each other. Why? Because we are those who have been forgiven. That's who we are. We're people who know what it's like to be forgiven, who don't deserve it, but have been given it. How much more can we forgive one another, forgive those who are like us? And there's one thing in verse 14 that we're told holds the whole outfit together, if you will. It completes it. And it's love. Love is the glue, holds it together. It's the string that binds everything together. With love, it says, it binds everything together in perfect harmony. What does that perfect harmony mean? Perfect in there, in that sense, means complete. And so love completes the outfit. It pulls the whole thing together to make it work. These are our church clothes. <laughs> this is what we are to put on each day as the body of Christ and how we're to interact with one another because of how Christ has chosen to interact with us. As John, 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. He loves you. And so now... We can love one another. Seek the things that are above by putting on the new self, the new clothes. Paul closes out this section talking about putting on in verses 15 to 17 with three exhortations for those who put on these new clothes. What defines this realm that these people who are putting on this new self live in? This is what it says. First, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. This is a peace that is not an internal or individualized sort of peace, even though, yes, that's true. <laughs> but this is a corporate peace that dictates who we are in this room and dictates how we live among one another. It is a corporate and controlling peace for our community. The second exhortation, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly through teaching, through admonishment, through singing, much like we've done this evening, much like we gather at the church on Wednesdays to sing. Some of our high school students have taken Colossians 3 and have written a song about it. They're letting the word of Christ dwell in them richly. They're reminding each other of what's true. We're doing that here. This is what's to Define the realm of those who have put on the new self, the peace of Christ, the word of Christ dwelling in us. And lastly, verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It's, this, it's summing everything up. That's what Paul's doing. He's saying everything, do everything in the name of Jesus to honor him in devotion to him. Your whole life, there's nothing outside those bounds. You can't put anything outside that exhortation. And we do so with thanksgiving to God. And thanksgiving is the repetition in each of those three exhortations. If you see it there, we are to be a thankful people marked by thankfulness to God because of what he's done.
This is our game plan. It corresponds with the new jerseys, the new clothes that we're wearing. And so we can talk about it or we can actually live it out. It begins with who we're with. It starts there and it moves to what to do. And so I encourage you this week, maybe even tonight, I don't know where you're going from here with your family, live it out. Put on these things. Respond in obedience. Consider how you might set your mind and seek the things that are above. We have a new perspective, new clothes. And so we have the privilege to get after it together and to do life together in this way at College Church. Giving thanks to God and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uniting us with Christ. Thank you for delivering us from the domain of darkness and transferring us to the kingdom of your beloved son. We don't deserve your kindness towards us in Christ. And so we thank you and we ask that this evening you help us and help those here, Lord, to put to death the sin that clings so closely to us. We know this is the old self, Lord, but we need your spirit And your help to do this. Help us to put off the old self. Help us to put on compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience. May the peace of Christ rule in our midst and in our hearts. May the word of Christ dwell in us richly. And Lord, may everything that we do be in honor of Jesus, the risen King, and in thanksgiving to you. We praise you. We thank you for your word. And we ask that you help us to be obedient, even tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.